You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I am, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, January 17th, 2022. On Friday's show, I said it was still 2021. Uh, Off to a great start this new year for me, as you can tell. Don't even know what year it is. Welcome back. Monday edition of Locked On Tigers. On Friday's show, we broke down the owner's and the MLBs and MLBs, sorry, there's no the in front, and MLBs proposal to the Players Association Players Union and did a complete breakdown. It was it was super, uh, I, I enjoyed doing it. Um, it got a lot of uh, a lot of good positive feedback, and, and that's the second time this offseason we've kind of done a, an overview on all the things being discussed during the lockout. So we did that on Friday. And the lockout is still in full effect. No progress has been made since the offer was made on Thursday. So we are back where we started. And we're now coming up with, with some more Tigers history content ideas. Because those, uh, this one's, no, it's still Tigers history. But it's, it's you'll, you'll see. Actually, you've already read the title. So like you already know what's coming. This it, it, Having a title completely ruins all like my dramatic suspense that I want coming into an episode. Like I want to have a big reveal of what I'm talking about. And that's just never a possibility because of titles. Down, ban the show title. I'm just going to name one title one of these days. And you guys are actually going to be confused and, and have to listen to see what it's about. But not this one. So... We're going to do uh, one that was brought up by by a few different listeners and I have been talking about with some friends and such about good ideas during the lockout and this was a really fun one for me and we're not going to get to all of the possibilities with, with this rabbit hole because there are a ton. But we're going to talk about some of the biggest in my eyes that that come to my brain first when I when I think of what if scenarios, and that's what we're going to be doing today. So, thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms, as you all know. And we are going to discuss some of. We're not going to rank them or anything, but we're going to discuss. Well, we're going to rank number one because that's a fairly obvious one in, in my eyes. Maybe not obvious, but it's like the clear number one to me, but we are going to talk about the the greatest, greatest is kind of a weird word. Let's just get out with what we're going to do, Scott. All right. Let's just out with it. We're going to talk about some of the biggest what if scenarios in Detroit Tigers history, whether that's big trades that did or didn't go through, whether that's injuries that happened, whether it's, it's plays that could have been made like one specific play, uh, all, all, all types of stuff. And I'm not going to be doing what ifs of like good situations and what if they were bad because that seems, I don't know, that doesn't seem very fun, <laughs> right? Like like what if the Tigers didn't trade for Norm Cash or what if the, the Kirk Gibson didn't hit the home run or what if Maglio didn't, you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to do those. We're, we're going to do 
situations that ended up uh, going against the franchise or, or that, that didn't go in our favor? And, and what if that changed? Or, or individual players, too, you know, the things that might have uh, went, went against what they wanted to do. And, and what if that changed into a positive life? How would that affect them? Or in or affected the organization. So it was super fun to research. Uh, it was it was super cool to to discuss with the people I was talking to it about about a possibility for the show and and stuff like that. So I'm pretty pumped about it. So without further ado, let's get right into it. The first one is we're gonna start off with a bang. Usually I like to save the the biggest ones or the number one ranked for last. This one, we're going out front with it because I think it's important to kind of set the tone of what we're looking for with these. And this is by far, in in my eyes, there's no competition. This is the greatest what if in Detroit Tigers history. And that is Mark Fidrich. What if Mark Fidrich had a full healthy career and did not blow his arm out only a season and a half really into his career? What if he played a, a full, long, healthy career, had a, had a nice, strong shoulder on him on, uh, on, on the right side? So everybody that is a, a Tigers fan knows Mark Fidrich, and he is one of the most prolific and honestly famous pitchers in organization history as far as uh, you know fans of, of fans of the fan base. Uh, of people within this fan base, everybody knows knows Fidrich, and he was so just entertaining. He was a damn good pitcher, and the the reason that he grew such a cult following was because of a his entertainment on the mound, talking to the ball, being uh, definitely not short on the dramatics. You know, yelling at the ball, talking to the ball, showing the ball on the mound where he wanted it to go, and and the the dirt on pitcher's mound, and had the magazine covers with Big Bird. I mean, his nickname was the Bird. Like he he was bigger than life, and the the way that he was able to captivate an entire fan base in a year, really. I mean, just in '76. Everybody fell in love with Mark. Everybody, he was the future of the franchise. He was going to take us back to the promised land of, of what he had just accomplished in 68. He was going to be part of the new era. After all, the the 68 Corps started retiring and, and leaving or whatnot. And he was going to be the, the, the focal point for the dude that got us back to the promised land. And he was going to be the ace. And he was going to be the dude. And while he certainly was a phenomenal pitcher, 1976, his 21-year-old rookie season, he literally debuted in, he didn't debut, you know, no September call-up nonsense or any of that. His first start was in 76. And in his rookie year, he would go 19-9 and with a 2-3-4 ERA that led the American League. He would have 24 complete games on 31 games pitched and 29 starts. So in in 29 games started, he had 24 complete games. Four of those were shutouts. 
So as a 21-year-old rookie, he had 250 innings pitched. 97 strikeouts. Honestly, not that high of a, a number. That, that K per nine is 3.5. That's incredibly low. But was not giving up hard contact whatsoever. Only 12 home runs in those 250 innings. Obviously, like I said, the 2-3-4 the ERA, and even with only a 3.5 K per nine, had a 3-1-5 FIP. And a, just a whip of barely over one, 1.079, 1 a 7.8 hit per nine. That home run per nine is less than half, which is a, a very good number. And his walk per nine was only 1.9. So he wasn't walking anybody. He wasn't striking very many people out, but he wasn't walking very many people. And he was giving up next to no hard contact. The 7.8 hit per nine is... N not bad at all either. His ERA plus of 159 leads the league, which makes sense because he led the, the league in ERA. So you have a, a, a phenomenal season. He was runner-up for Cy Young, an all-star, 11th in MVP voting, and one rookie of the year in 1976. He accomplished, he, he got voting he received votes in everything you could possibly accomplish in a career all in one season <laughs> as a rookie, as a 21-year-old rookie. And we'll get into the rest of his career after I tell y'all about Built Bar. It's the New Year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, it can be chalky, waxy, or honestly even tastes like chemical spill. You'll want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring by like week three. You might be thinking this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Well, you don't have to worry about that with Built Bar because they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein compared to the candy bar. Which usually has about 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, in the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out all the sugary, calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and that tastes incredible. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least have something that tastes good and is good for you. That's that way. When you enjoy delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. There's so many flavors to choose from. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and many, many more. In fact, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out Built.com often to see what's new. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off of your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, everybody, we are back here for segment two at Locked On Tigers. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. We're talking the greatest what-ifs in Detroit Tigers history, and you have to start with Mark Fidrich. And that's where we're at. We just covered his rookie season. Again, all-star, runner-up for Cy Young as a 21-year-old rookie, 11th in MVP, and one rookie of the year, his war as a rookie, was 9.6. He 
He had a 9.6 B war, according to baseball reference, R war, whatever you want to say. According to baseball reference, I just repeated myself, 9.6. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. The MVP that year was Thurman Munson, who had a 5.3 war. Mark Fidrich actually tied for the lead in all of baseball in war that season. He tied with Joe Morgan, who won the National League MVP, who put up a 9-6 war. Mark Fidrich puts up a 9-6 as well and gets 11th in MVP voting with one single first-place vote down in 11th, which means that the rest of the voting for everybody else must have been absolutely brutal to him to have a, a one first place share and and do nothing with it. That's that's kind of remarkable. There there's got to be. I mean, Bill Campbell who had a one point nine WAR, I got got eight. Like, what are we talking about here? You know, like at the end of the day, what are we talking about here? Bill Campbell, fi- fine pitcher. Okay, fine fine pitcher. Got got seventh in Cy Young voting that year. Wasn't even an All Star. Uh, you know, good good reliever, good closer. Back in the day, it's it's absurd that Mark Fidrich finished three places behind him. That's asinine. And again, tied for the lead in baseball in WAR. If you look at Baseball Reference, so the what if comes into play with the next season, nineteen seventy seven. Mark Fidrich would only start in 11 games. He would make the All-Star game after only pitching 11 games, which in the first half is is pretty pretty feasible, pretty reasonable. He had a 2.89 ERA in 11 starts. Seven of those 11 starts were complete games. One of them was a shutout. He had only given up two home runs all year to make his home run per nine a 0.2. His K per nine went up to 4.7 from a 3.5 the year before, and his walk per nine was down to a 1.3 after a 1.9 his first year. His ERA plus was just under a 150, which means it was 50% better than the league average ERA, and his whip was 1.16. Gave up a few more hits in the in the those 11 starts than he averaged in 1976, but was still an all-star. A 6-4 record, that 77 Tigers team did not have a great offense. So even with those stats, he was he was barely over 500. But regardless, you know, also, quick, but if do you think if he's a 20-game winner, that, like, back in the 70s, that's before a lot of the analytics we had and such, do you think he, he went 19-9 and in 76? As a rookie, do you think if he was a 20-game winner, that they would have given him the award. Jim Palmer won it that year. He had a six and a half war. He went twenty-two and thirteen, a two-five-one ERA. He started forty games and had twenty-three complete games. Pitched three hundred and fifteen innings and had one hundred and fifty-nine strikeouts. So, I, I mean, a thirty-less ERA plus. Obviously, that's not something they would have looked at that. At back then, however, just regular ERA, he was almost two tenths lower than Jim Palmer. And you know, like he's a rookie versus Jim Palmer is is uh, I mean a three time that was one of his three Cy Youngs was a Hall of Famer, fantastic ball player. 
I, I just wonder back then, I mean, we've seen it even currently, like with Rick Porcello, like we've seen people that just hit the 20 win mark and they're just treated way differently. I don't know. I, I, that's just, that's just interesting to me that he was at 19 and maybe if he would have gotten to 20, maybe the voting would have been a little different. I don't know. I don't know. Regardless though, back on track in 1977, he pitches half season. It was really good. All-star again, doesn't pitch the second half of the season has injury problems. Comes back in 78, has three starts of 22 innings, still has a 2-4-5 ERA, and goes 2-0 in those three starts. Two of those three games are complete games. Only gives up one home run. Uh, his K per nine, I guess, if you want to do a K per nine in only 22 innings, was 4.1. That's higher than in 76. The hit per nine was at seven, which in a full season would have been his career low. And his ERA plus of 160 would have been a, a career high if it was over a full season. Gets hurt again. Comes back in 1979, makes four starts, and is not good at all. Has a 10 and a half almost ERA across those full starts. No complete games. Only pitches 14 innings in four starts. Gets absolutely blown up. Hurt again. Back in 1980, nine starts, has a 5-6 ERA, goes 2-3, and three, not very good, a whip of, of almost 1-8 at that point. Really, really sad. And so my, my point is, and this is what I've always argued with Mark Fitterich, if, I guess maybe it's not an argument, but it's fascinating to think he was 21 in 1976. That makes him 29 in 1984, when the Detroit Tigers would lead wire to wire, start off 35-5, and five, and cruise their way to the World Series, destroying literally everyone in their path. Think about a 29-year-old prime Mark Fidrich on a 104-win Detroit Tigers team that won the World Series. Then you start thinking of the years around it, right? Obviously, 84, that team just becomes even better than it already was. You have a rotation that, that now has Jack Morris and, and Mark Fidrich in it. In 83, we go 92-70, and 70, finish second in the AL East. And that was before there was a big postseason. That was just CS and then World Series, baby. So... We don't even make the postseason in 1983. A 92-win team does not make the postseason. You add a 28-year-old Mark Fidrich onto that team. 85, we win 84 games. Not sure how many more games Mark Fidrich would have mattered in that. 87. You have a 32-year-old Mark Fidrich on a 98-win Detroit Tigers team that would lose in the ALCS to the Minnesota Twins. Think about it, man. Just think about it. I know I really just spent all the first two segments talking about Mark Fitterich and that scenario, but it is so fascinating to me to think about how different the 80s are already looked at as one of the best eras in Detroit Tigers history and how much better they even could have looked on top of how great they already were if Mark Fidrich has a long and healthy career. 
fascinating stuff. We'll get into some other small ones that, that we can throw out there and talk about for a little bit after I tell you all about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline would like to wish you a new, happy new betting year as we continue to march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the, your best sports wagering action in 2022. New year and new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKDOWN to get started. From basketball, football, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. But online's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. But online, where the game starts. All right, everybody, welcome back to our third and final segment here at Locked On Tigers. We're going over some of the biggest what-if scenarios in Detroit Tigers history. We have spent all of the beginning of this talking about Mark Fitterich, rightfully so in my opinion. He is, like I said, comfortably the biggest what-if scenario in the history of this franchise. But there's a few other fun ones that, I mean, I guess some of them bring up a little bit of pain, but... There are, there are a few other fun ones to look at. One of the bigger ones, uh, if I were to rank them, this might be number two, but also like the era he played in, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. So when looking at trades, the Tigers have always been relatively active on the trade market, especially in the 21st century. But before the 21st century, they were not afraid to, uh, to make moves either. And in what is widely considered to be one of the worst trades in not only Tigers history, but in baseball history. On August 12th of 1987, the Detroit Tigers traded a minor league John Smoltz to the Atlanta Braves for Doyle Alexander. Doyle Alexander would come in to Detroit and he really, he wasn't bad, which like is one thing that I want to be very clear about. Like Doyle Alexander had a really respectable career. 35 career war was an all-star for the Tigers in 1988. He, when we traded for him halfway through 1987, he would finish out 87 here. And in the second half of 1987, went 9-0 with a 1.53 ERA in 11 starts. So he was remarkable and helped us get to the postseason in 1987. He was a pretty key component in that rotation and, and actually finished fourth in Cy Young voting in 1987. Okay, so while it is still not a very good trade to get rid of John Smoltz for a dude you would have for three years and really find uh, no postseason success in. It's not like we traded him for for a scab. Like Doyle Alexander was was nice with it, right? He was kind of a journeyman and, and never spent more than five years at any team in his almost twenty year career, but. Doesn't mean he wasn't good. Got MVP votes at some point in his career. Got Cy Young votes two different times. MVP votes three different times. Was an All Star once. He was a he was an all right ball player. Was an All Star for us in 1988. Like I said, had a 4.32 ERA 
And then in 1989, at 38 years old, uh, had a 4-4-2 ERA and actually led all of baseball in losses. So by 1989, that was his last year of his MLB career. Was uh, kind of had one foot out the door there, but this this notion that Doyle Alexander was like a complete nobody and you know nobody had ever heard of him and he was he was terrible is is kind of ridiculous. That being said, John Smoltz is a Cy Young winner, a Hall of Famer, and one of the most maybe prolific is not the right word, but. For the 90s and 2000s, one of the best pitchers of an era. An eight-time All-Star, won a ring in 95, NLCS MVP, was a reliever of the year. Uh, One of the only pitchers in baseball history to be so successful as a starter and as a reliever. Had 154 career saves to go with 210 career wins. Pretty remarkable stuff. So still a bad trade. And at the end of the day, when you look at it, the thing that kind of takes this down a notch for me and the what if, this is a lot of people's outside of Fidrich, uh, a lot of people in this fan base love to play the what if game with this one. And just looking at the era, it it's a lot harder to play with this game because the 90s were so bad. And that's when John Smoltz was so good, right? In the decade of the 90s, he would make three all-star appearances and win a Cy Young. In 1996, he went 24-8 with a 2-9-4 ERA, led the league in innings pitched, and led the league in strikeouts, and led the league in FIP, while he didn't lead the league in ERA, uh, led the league in K per nine, almost had a whip of below one, remarkable season and the, it, it's just it's difficult because we can't assume we'll just play the game of if he spent his whole career here because he did play for the Braves for 20 years so we can play like oh what if he just spent his whole career here the only thing that that might change is in 2006 when he was 39 years old and that's a, that's a hell of a long con. But in 2006, when he was 39, he went 16-9 with a 3-4-9 ERA. Started 35 games, pitched 230 innings, got 7th in Cy Young voting that season. Had a really respectable season, especially for a dude pushing 40. Okay. So, that, and, and, and I don't know, man. Like he he was a reliever from 2001 to 2004 as well. He had a 55 save season, a 45 save season, and a 44 save season from 02 to 04. So like we could have had him in the pen. Even we we definitely would have had a spot on the rotation for him in that that year. But like he had the the versatility of coming out of the pen as well, which would have been nice. But then you start getting into the the deep nitty-grittiness of a true what-if scenario. You go, well, maybe the Tigers win a few more games in the 90s. They don't get all the draft picks that lead up. Right, the butterfly effect. And I don't want to go that deep down this rabbit hole. Even though I we could, I guess, take a whole half hour and just do one of these on, on a ridiculously deep dive. And it would take me weeks to prepare. But... 
just looking at it from afar, if we do have him in 06, that does help us. Obviously. Obviously. Everybody loves when I say that. That would help us. And I'm not sure John Smoltz single-handedly makes the the Tigers not get borderline embarrassed in the 2006 World Series. Like, we won one game. I'm not sure if John Smoltz by himself, whether he's a starter or reliever, really changes that too terribly much. But if he's a starter, Kenny Rogers goes out there, does his thing, gets a great big win. So the series is 1-1 after game two. Then maybe you send John Smoltz out there in game three instead of Nate Robertson. I love you, Nate Robertson. God bless you. Yeah, I got your autograph. Gum time was my childhood. Love you to death. And the Tigers would only get literally three hits in game three. So maybe that's not even a good example. Game four. Maybe pitches game four. <laughs> like, see, this is like a really slippery slope to go down. And I'm not sure John Smoltz really changes too much. He certainly doesn't change anything in the 90s by himself. That was just a bad era. And no- nothing was going to happen that decade regardless. And then when you get into the early 2000s, then you start changing, you know, if he gives us a few more wins that we wouldn't have had, do we get JV? Do we get Curtis? There, there's, a, there's a lot, man. There, there's a lot at play there. And at the end of the day, even if you take all of the butterfly effect stuff out of it, I'm not really sure that he makes enough of a difference. I'm actually pretty confident that he doesn't make big enough of a difference in 2006 to really change the outcome of anything either. So while it's a fun game to play, and, and honestly, that, that should kind of make you feel good about yourself, right? You're like, hey, like th- this is considered to be one of the worst trades in baseball history. Well, it really wouldn't have changed too terribly much for the Detroit Tigers organization. It really wouldn't have. Even if he played his whole career here, even if he played his, his whole 20-year career here, really doesn't change too terribly much for, for the Tigers. Still a bad trade, though. Don't get me wrong. Still a bad trade. I mean, there, there's a few more small ones, right? I mean, one of my favorite ones is what if the Tigers don't hire Brad Ausmus and actually get a comp- competent manager in 2014 when Leland leaves? That's always a fun game to play. So, shout out to the Oakland A's, by the way, taking that on to your uh, to to your bench coach role. That's a that's a hell of a hire. That's immense sarcasm. Uh, so so like you have stuff like that. You have what if Tory Hunter catches Big Poppy's grand slam in the 2013 ALCS? Right? What if he doesn't flip over the wall and and miss it? What if he brings that home? That's a totally different series. The Tigers had all the momentum before that inning in the series. Tigers would have been up 2-0 going back to the crib. Would have been up 2-0 coming back home in that series had that not happened. That's a totally different scenario. So there's so many. And it's a fun rabbit hole to go down. And we can go down a, a, a whole nother episode where where we, we break down five more. I mean, the, the list could really go on and on with those kind of things. And while I, I actually despise what-if scenarios on a game-to-game basis and on a season-to-season basis historically, they are very fun to go back and look at. I just don't like making them an excuse for present. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't like playing the what-if game at, you know, after the final out of a game and looking back and playing what-if because that's a, that's a really dangerous game to play and it didn't happen. 
But looking back through history and playing the what-if game is is very, very fun and, and can be really interesting. So thank you, guys, for listening. Thanks for making Locked on Tigers your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, Locked on Bets. Daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs, Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. We'll be back on, I don't know what day. We'll have three shows this week, though. So we'll be back at some point, um, either tomorrow or Wednesday. And I think by then, all of the international signing stuff will be out. So our next show will be breaking down the international signees that just occurred. And they're allowed because they're technically all minor league contracts. And the minor leagues are running business as usual. It's only the major leagues that are in a work stoppage. So international free agency is still very much a thing and is very much heating up. Tigers got some fun names to talk about, man. Some really some good ball players and, and some fun like stories, backstories. So it'll be super cool. That'll be our next episode. Until then, peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope. And I'll catch you all then, baby. Go Tigers.